0: WB Realty, Central Iowa's premier real estate brokerage. WB has all the tools and the resources needed to make your next real estate transaction your best. Go to WBRealty.com
1: to find out more information today.
2: Welcome back to another episode of The Shooter's Touch. This week, we have our first guest from north of the border, Craig Yulvaline. Now, one of the best parts about doing this podcast for Brian and myself is the connections we make with our guests and actually talking and hearing about the connections that they've made, how they've gotten jobs, how they've you know, progress through their coaching career, through the connections that they have and have made. And Craig came came to us through a connection as well. Uh, his nephew was a manager on the, the, the basketball team at UNI when I was there, and he was recommended to us, and we are so happy we connected. Craig is a ball of fire, a ball of energy, and you will be able to tell right away that this episode is going to be fun. Now Craig has has some uh, accolades to speak of himself. He's a Hall of Fame coach in the state of Minnesota. Uh, his overall win total is four hundred and sixty eight, and he has multiple coaches Coach of the Year awards in the state of South Dakota as well as Minnesota. Like I said, awesome conversation with Craig. It was. Great to meet him, great to make the connection, and I know you guys will enjoy this episode as much as we did. Here he is, Craig Uvaline. I got
0: the shooter's touch, can't nobody shoot like me. Fourth quarter down three, need a two and one, better call on me, better call on me. If you know you need a shooter, I'm ice cold like a cooler, get you right though, I can tool this, that mic flow, I'm a hooper, I got blue faces, so oh, blue faces.
2: Welcome back, everybody, to the Shooter's Touch. This week, we have a Hall of Fame high school basketball coach from the state of Minnesota, Craig Ulvling. Craig, welcome to the Shooter's Touch.
0: Thank
1: you, Adam. It's an honor to be on your program.
0: Yeah, Coach, we're uh, we're excited to have you on. Um, first one that we have north of the border, so up in Minnesota. Um, but as I understand it, uh, at least, was it born or born and raised in Iowa? What's the connection to, to down here, the great state of Iowa?
1: Well, I was born and raised in a town called Breida, Iowa, and uh, the, the great thing about being from Breida, Iowa is when you move to Minnesota and then you coach in South Dakota, no one in the world knows where Breida is, so you can really mess with people. You, you know, they well, where in Iowa is Breida? And you could say Council Bluffs, Davenport, Dubuque, <laughs> Sioux City, and you can really mess with people. It's kind of like Ackley, Geneva. I mean, you got to get a big map to find out where Ackley's at.
2: And zoom in pretty closely.
1: Yeah, oh yeah. Well, at least you're close to 35. But I grew up in Burita, which is right outside of Carroll, Iowa, and um, uh, had a great, great background. I'm 61 now, so I grew up in the 60s and 70s and just grew up playing a lot of sports. And uh, we had phenomenal baseball and basketball teams in the 70s. Uh, we won a fall baseball state championship in 76. Uh, our varsity teams, my junior and senior year in basketball, uh, I think we were 40 and 6 over two years. My junior year, we were 22 and 0 and got beat in the region final. So I was very luck- lucky to grow up in a great town like Breda.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um, what, uh, um, what, was, what was it like after high school? Did you have the, the privilege to go on and, and, and participate, or where'd you go to school at?
1: Well, the, the, the greatest story is I got a scholarship to play at Briarcliff College. And we all know that's in Sioux City, Iowa, for the the legend Ray Nackey. And uh, I tell everyone I got a, a, a free ride to go play there, but I had to pay for my gas on the way home. And uh, I think I got $400 to go up there. And uh, my, the highlight of my first year, 1978, was we were in Aberdeen, South Dakota, and the freshmen sat at the end of the bench, and, you know, we had one thought. We were the Nackies 2020 guys. Now, do you guys know what a 2020 guy is in basketball? Nope. You have any idea? You want to take a shot at that? Because you were a stud, so you never were a 2020. You uh, – a 2020 guy was – the only time you're going to get in is if you're up, the team's up 20 or down 20. So we were the, and I've stuck with that the rest of my life, you know, with, with coaching over 40 years is you're going to have to be my 2020 guy. But my highlight was we're up at Aberdeen and do you remember the, the, the tearaway pants?
0: Oh yeah. The yeah, late
1: seventies, everybody had the candy stripes. And anyway, um, we had the blue and gold, the chargers, and we we're up at Aberdeen and, and we were playing at. Northern state. And uh, anyway, uh, the, I think it was like six minutes into the game and Nackie yelled out, Uvaling. And all my guys were shocked because I had never gotten in the first half. And so you should have seen how fast I jumped up. And I ran down to the end of the bench. And, and I, I was ready to play. It was about time he put, put me in the first half. And uh, he said, honest to, as God is my witness, he said, Uvaling, there's a door down by the locker room. And I can feel a draft go down and shut that make sure our locker room door shut and you should have seen me that that was a highlight of my freshman year Ooh, wow. my second year uh, yeah uh, my second year uh, did not go very well so I transferred to Mankato State thinking I got a raw deal at Briar Cliff and I got to Mankato and and play I uh, tried to play for Butch Raymond and I found out that I didn't get a raw deal. I just wasn't very good. But uh, I was very fortunate to be Butch Raymond. He hired me to work at summer camps and he pretty much got me two jobs after I uh, finished up college. So it all it all it all worked out great.
0: Everything always seems to work out the way it's supposed to. But isn't it isn't it funny that transition from uh, from high school, um, especially in this case, small town Iowa high school, then to the next level. um, It's quite a jump when you go from uh, going from the high school level to the college level.
1: Well, and our, we had a lot of success in high school, but we had never, we we, we just, the only two things we ever did was we played a diamond press and fell back into a two, three, and, and we had great high school coaches, but I don't know how much they knew about basketball, but they were great to play for, and, and uh, it was the 70s, you know, and your high school coaches in small schools like Breida St. Bernard, they coached everything, you know, baseball, track, basketball and they, they were just good guys but um i got to college and i i heard about this man-to-man defense and i'll tell you i i i found out i couldn't guard my mom so uh it was it was quite the transition and uh but it was a great learning experience and i still have a lot of my good friends today are teammates from briar cliff and teammates from mankato state so it it, it paid off in the long run
0: it's one of those things. Obviously, through sports and the relationships and bonds that you create, um, are are those for a lifetime? And and playing basketball and sports in general uh, is no different. That's for sure. Um, how how big of an impact did that? the uh, playing zone and having those struggles making uh, the transition to college impact you as a coach? Did were you heavy on the man to man defense, or what was what was your philosophy defensively once you once you started coaching?
1: Well, it's kind of funny you say that because you're a hundred percent right and. And you guys, you know, you you've all heard of Nick Nurse now, right?
0: Oh yeah. Well,
1: um, we grew up with all the nurse families. In fact, my youngest, one of my brothers, Kent, he uh, he coached. He was the head coach at Sioux City North, and I think Sergeant Bluff, and then he went into ph- pharmaceuticals. But he's he is really good friends with. He played. He was older than Nick, so it would have been Nick's. But I grew up with. Uh, Nick's older brothers and then Brita would in the summer we would go up to Carol Kemper on Wednesday nights and play outdoor ball and they were a product his older brothers were just you know you 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 know I don't know Adam you you played at Ackley Geneva was there any bigger cities that you would go play summer ball against or did you play a lot of AAU ball
2: yeah AAU was a was a was I mean a big portion but you know we we'd go to we'd go to Simpson basketball camp every summer And then uh, a couple of and I camps. And so that's where we got our exposure probably to the, you know, the bigger schools.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And they're just bigger, stronger. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm terrible. But that was the greatest upbringing because one of my best friends was a farm kid. And he always wore his black socks. And this was before the Fab Five. And I used to tell him, God, it's going to be hard enough to get on the court, Tom. But you can't wear your work your work socks we've got to get the wig blobs you know the, the the ones that come up to your come on now you're killing me right now but we'd go there and and the carol Kemper kids they were really good in the 70s they they were loaded and it was the best thing for me because it it just you know you went up there and got the crap beat out of you and you learned to learn to play a little tougher but wayne chanley had a huge um had a huge effect on nick nurse and i think it's really cool how nick is always you know, I don't know if you've heard his interviews, how he's invited Wayne Chanley, but you gotta realize when you grow up fifteen miles from Carroll, we used to sneak over and watch the Kemper kids play, and they were loaded back in the seventies. I mean, we thought we were good, but they were like you got you know Kemper had over a thousand kids in their high school guys back then. I mean, Carroll High was a small school, but anyway, um Wayne Chanley played. The belly button defense, and then his—I always thought when we played his kids, they were no fun to play because they wouldn't let you. You know, you remember that growing up, guys. You, you play those good man-to-man teams that would bump. You know, every time you try to go somewhere, they would bump you, and you know you'd be going, "This is a," you, you know. And I always thought if I ever got into coaching, you know, I was going to be that kind of a pressure man-to-man, get in your face, and and so, you know, when you say that, yeah, I I definitely found out in college that if I was ever fortunate enough to be a head coach. I was going to play that aggressive man-to-man and try to ruin everyone's night when you played
0: them. Yeah, you talked about that uh, becoming a coach. Was there was there ever a moment throughout your playing career, or when did a, when did the coaching bug start to hit you? Was there was there doing those summer camps uh, up in Minnesota, or what was it that you're like, you know what, this might be the path I want to go down?
1: I'm pretty sure in fifth grade. I, I was very lucky. Um, I pretty much knew in fifth grade that I don't know about you guys, but you know I. I really loved b- baseball I just wasn't any good at it and uh, and basketball for some reason I-, I just I've had a love affair I, I, from the time I could walk and and I remember watching games on TV and going out and play probably similar to you guys and I knew what I wanted to do probably in middle school you know I was either going to be a I, I was either going to play for the Boston Celtics pro basketball. And then I found out at about 18 that that wasn't going to happen. And I I knew I wanted to coach basketball and, and I was very lucky. I got a fire degree. So, you know, I got to wear shorts and a t-shirt for 37 years before I retired. So I, I knew way back that that's exactly what I wanted to do.
0: Who did, uh, who did you use as some of your mentors as far as the shape? Uh, obviously, those are always evolving. I feel like as a coach, you're a natural uh, learner and grower of the game and trying to learn as much as you can. But uh, when you kind of first getting started, who were, who were some of the people that you were looking up to uh, to set the example for you?
1: Well, you know, in high school, I had great coaches. They just, you know, at St. Bernard's, we were really lucky because it closed a couple of years after I left and they joined um, – Carol Kemper. That's where our kids go now. But um, I'd say Wayne Chanley had a huge effect. You know, I just I, I just love the way his kids played, how unselfish, and he was probably the first one. And then um, Butch Raymond at Mankato State was a phenomenal coach. And you know, the greatest thing about him was he took care of everyone. He really taught me more about then there was a lot more than just X's and O's and just how to treat players. Cause you know what? He did a lot more for me than I ever did for him. And he hired me in the summers. And, you know, when you start working those Mankato state basketball camps and you start really learning how to coach and, and, you know, and, and so on. So I would say those guys, and then there was some other older coaches. Um, there was a coach from Mitchell, South Dakota. He's deceased now, Gary Munson, who my first couple of years out there for some reason took me under his wing and, you know, you know, at 25, I thought I knew everything, and I, I realized I didn't know anything. And and uh, he, you know, he he. I met with him in the summer, and we broke down some tapes. And you know, I, the, the the list is so long, guys. I mean, you know, I'm 61 now, and you know, I, I still have a lot of fire left to coach. And I, I I don't think you ever quit learning. And you know, I was watching the Hawkeyes beat North Carolina last night, and and um, we just hired a new coach here in Red Wing, and we hired a Um, a guy that won the national championship with Kentucky on 90 I think it was 96 uh, Oliver Simmons and he moved here from Florida I don't know how we got him but he's a 6'9 redhead and he looks just like me and JJ so I'm I we're, we're wondering if we're related but he came over to watch and there's nothing better guys than to watch and he's been a head high school coach for 16 years and his wife's from Minnesota so he wanted to come back here and um what do you call it uh um he came over to watch the game last night and um it's so much fun to watch a game with another coach because you know we're we're trying to coach for Fran we're trying to coach for Roy and we're you know we're you know what I'm trying to say where oh yeah you you're you watch a game like last night's game and we're both going well the Hawkeyes are gonna have to get back on defense and the Hawks are gonna have to I don't know did you guys watch the game last night
0: yep yeah absolutely and I, I agree I mean transition defense um it's something that I was pulling my hair out you know obviously they shot the ball really well but my goodness they were not getting in front of anybody
1: well and you know and Fran I I've never been a zone you know it's a four-letter word with me and I just I just you know whatever I just I don't know how to coach it but anyway you know Fran's a a, a great offensive you know and and his teams are such elite offensive teams but You know, I was wondering, because they, I don't know about you guys, I noticed that they stayed man a long time last night, and I thought maybe he was showcasing Luca. I mean, if he's not one of your favorite Hawkeyes ever, I mean, you know, his commitment and work ethic, I mean, he's such a stud, but I mean, were those post players from North Carolina, were they 18-year-old freshmen? Did you guys notice that, or...
2: But yeah, I, there's there's one or two that are freshmen. The really good one I think is a sophomore at least. <laughs> uh, but they're big men. They're big and men. You know what? I big think athletic.
1: For, I, I'm sure the scouts were watching it. And god, I mean, I don't know about you guys. You got to love Luca. I mean, but those guys were so athletic. And you know what I loved about Luca last night was it's just like my coaching philosophy is like he that's probably about as limited as he's been in the first half. You know, you know, I always say the exhibition season's over. They're not going to play Western Illinois anymore. Now they're going to go, you know, I don't know about you guys, but I really look forward to that game. I wanted to see what he could do yep. against a top 10 or top 15 team. And that's the reason he did not go in the first round is because, you know, he's got some weaknesses, but don't you just love his work ethic and his determination and his everything, his attitude. And, and he had a huge second half, you guys. He ended up with a double-double, I think.
0: Yeah, I think he ended up with 16 and 14, and we're talking about how a pedestrian the performance was, if that tells you anything about it. I mean, and the guy goes out and has 16 and 14 against the top 15 team or top 20 team. It's it's definitely impressive in what he's doing and the work and everything he's put in. He's fun to watch. I think this team will be fun to watch, too. Um, they're going to take us on a ride. It's going to be a roller coaster. If they're if they're shooting the ball like they did last night, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um but they are going to have to find a way to muster up a few more stops um, once we get on the road here a little bit.
1: Yeah. So, so hopefully, hopefully I answered your question with a six minute answer. That's what I tend to do sometimes.
0: No, that's perfect. As far as the coaching goes too. one other that I'm always, always intrigues me and we have, you know, a lot of small town Iowa guys that come on the podcast and play multiple sports. Is there a coach from another sport um, in which that maybe you you took some of their motivation and stuff or something in which that you uh, um, have taken and been able to bring over to the basketball side?
1: Well, it's kind of funny because, you know, like you guys say, from small town, you know, you got to play all your athletes. and, And, you know, I always thought it was so healthy and I was very blessed. I, um, um, in 28 years of being a head coach, I had 13 teams go to the state tournament, and I was blessed with a lot of talent, um, and I look at all my good teams that went to state, and, and, and that's a pretty good run, 13 state tournaments in 28 years, and and, and that's in two different places. That's in South Dakota and Minnesota in, in the big schools, and um I look at my good teams and they kind of share a lot of the same characteristics. I had a lot of multi-sport athletes that, you know, we always had a two or three, you know, we had a few Adams, you know, that were stud basketball players, but we also had a ton of role players and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today a little bit was, you know, what you know, to me what what I think is what what makes a successful team. And and that's it's funny you'd ask that because I think a lot of times if you can get a team that accepts their roles, you're going to have a lot of success.
2: Yeah. I you know we talked to a lot of, a lot of head coaches, a lot of assistant coaches as well, but you know, in the, in the high school game, it's so much different. You mentioned it, that, you know, you, you, you have to play your athletes. You have to do with, with, with what you're given. Right. Um, how does, I know we talked a little bit about philosophy here, but how does your philosophy change on a year-to-year basis? Uh, you know, with uh, with the guys you're you're coaching, with the guys you have coming in, I guess, if at all.
1: You no, know, and, and the great thing is, guys, uh, it took me a long time to figure this out. But you know, Butch Raymond used to say all the time, "Control what you can control." And I don't know if you guys believe that, but as you get older, it works in real life, and control what you can control. And you're not going to control the officials, that position. control what you eat. And the two things that are the most important thing for kids to understand today and young coaches control, you can control, but most importantly is your attitude and effort. And there's nothing worse than going on a podcast and having someone talk about their offense or defense. You know what? If you want to learn offense and defense, go buy a book. You can win a state championship playing zone defense. You can win a state championship playing man-to-man defense. There are 6 million different, man-to-man offenses and zone offenses they're all alike but they have different names to them but to me when it comes down to the two most important things over the 39 years I coached was controlling your attitude and effort and and you know the, the word guys is over and over again now we're trying to create a culture and the what's the name of the Iowa State f- football coach um Matt Campbell he, yeah I mean I just love everything anything I can read about this guy I just love what I read about him. And I love reading what the players say about him. Like from day one, you know, we've got PJ Fleck up here, you know, roll the boat. So I got to be real careful. I got my Hawkeye sweatshirt on. I've been in, I've left Iowa at age 19 and I've moved to Minnesota for the last 40 years or whatever. I've lived in South Dakota eight years and I got a lot of black and gold up here. So I got to be careful. I'm the only one that goes to Williams arena with the black and gold and I just love it. I, I take crap. Every once in a while, gets get some ice cream thrown at me. That's okay. That's part of being a Hawkeye. Well, anyway, I hate, the, I, I hate the word culture. I don't hate it. I just like the word tradition better. You look at all the good programs, high school, especially high school basketball in Iowa. I like the word tradition. The, you, you know which coaches, every year in and out, they're going to do three or four things. And I, I have a big belief in doing all the little things, We'll take care of the big things. And I don't know what you guys think about business or real life or coaching, but if you just worry about the little things and, and, you know, the one thing, I don't know where I got it from. Cause I, I'm not smart enough to come up with anything myself, but I got it. I, I used to always tell the young coaches, if you go to a coaching clinic and pick up one thing and don't worry so much about the X's and O's cause they have books and they have a thing called YouTube. You know, and you can go to YouTube right now and put put in any ball screen offense you want. But the the big thing I liked, I used to ask my players, guys, um, have any either one of you guys ever read the Phil Jackson book on coaching?
2: I have. It's a haven't. great
1: it's a great read. And in that book, he put in the book Phil Jackson. He said every year they would start the Lakers when he coached the Lakers. They would start. He did the same thing with the Bulls. And when he's coaching the Lakers. He would start them off and put them all, at the, all against the wall at the end of the gym. And then he would stand at the top of the key, and he would say, if any of you players want to get coached up this year, if you want to get criticized, get critiqued, but if you actually want to get better, I want you to right now step forward to the free throw line. And he said, it's in the book, it always amazed him that everyone looked at Kobe and Shaq. And Kobe was always the first player to step forward. And what do you think happened the minute Kobe took a step forward?
0: Makes everyone our, else step yeah, forward. Everybody else.
1: And I, 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 it's a great deal, you guys. Just think about that. And right now, it's psychology that you're telling those kids, "We're not going to demean you. This isn't going to be the old days of Bobby Knight, and we're not going to choke anyone, or we're not going to throw stuff at you or demean you." But and and and, and you know, what kind of you know, do, do you want to be coached up? And I used to ask the kids in our program, what's going to be your legacy? And you know, the, the thing is, I, I had a lot of talent, I had great assistant coaches, but we, we did have a lot of success. And you know the weird part is, guys, we rarely, if ever, talked about winning. And J.J can do a test to that, because he used to come to our state tournament games, and you know, we never talked about winning as much as let the little things take care of the big things. And when I say little things, guys, We talked about what is going to be your legacy here in in Red Wing when you get done playing for me. Are you going to, what about the weight room? What about the classroom? What about the bus rides? What about the locker rooms? What are our locker rooms going to look like? What about all the little things like when you're playing on the B team, are you going to come to the varsity games and cheer them on? If you're on the varsity, are you going to take off the headphones and watch the JV games? Are you going to come out of the game? You, You know what I mean? Now, Adam, what, what did you average your senior year in high school? It had to be plus 20, right?
2: Yeah, it was about 20.
1: Yep. Okay. So you were the best, probably the best player on your team if you're going to go play at UNI. But did you, when you did come out of the game, were you the kind of teammate that came out, ran out, cheered on your teammates? Or you you know what I'm trying to say when the, the stars come out? And they go sit in the corner, you know, or they stare at the coach, kind of like, why are you taking me out? And so we spent a lot of time on that. Are you the kind of player, how hard do you work in the weight room? You know, how hard are you going to get in extra shooting? You know, and so there are so many intangibles that you don't learn until you're, you're, you know, until you're about 40, 45 years old that take care of the winning parts. And I'll bet you all those great teams that you played at, you and I, I'll bet you you can talk right now about some of your teammates that probably excelled in these areas. Absolutely. And by the way, my sister said, you were her favorite player.
2: <laughs> <laughs> she she doesn't watch much basketball then, huh?
1: <laughs> well, can you imagine Kelly, when JJ played in high school? My, my favorite JJ story is, he comes up as a farm kid, as a seventh grader up to Minnesota, right? And Red Wings, you know, south of the cities. And we, you know, we, it's, a, it's a very, very good place to grow up and live. But anyway, He came up as a seventh grader off the farm, and he had never seen black socks, and this is after the Fab Five, and so he couldn't believe that, and then you cannot believe how short his shorts were. I mean, I think the 70s called, and they wanted their shorts back, honest to God, and the next summer, he came back as an eighth grader. His shorts, you remember how, remember his shoes and shorts, how, have you ever met anyone that had to have the. I mean, if he played as well as he dressed with his <laughs> Nike stuff, he'd be in the NBA right now. I don't know if you agree with any of that, but
2: that is great. That is, yeah. I mean, you know, knowing <clears throat> knowing JJ, knowing that he, uh, knowing about his shoe collection, uh, you're you're probably not too far off about that for sure. But no, um,
1: he is the he is the poster child for pretty boy, and you know, <laughs> we're still trying to figure out how he got Megan. Cause you know, up here, we have a saying about outkicking your coverage. It's gotta be like a Viking saying that boy definitely outkicked his coverage.
2: And he did it, huh? Well, he
1: might've had some help from you.
2: Yeah. I don't know about that. Um, well, Hey, uh, you mentioned here, coach, that in fifth grade, you knew coaching was what you, or maybe something that you were at least interested in. Um, and maybe after 18 and you know, maybe that NBA dream died after that, you, uh, I you know realized that it would that that it was maybe maybe more of a path for you. But um I guess walk us through your coaching journey, you know, where did you start? Where did you go? I mean, obviously you've you've been a coach up there in Minnesota for quite a while, but walk us through that a little bit.
1: Okay, I got out of Mankato State and Butch got me a job at Minnesota Lake Minnesota. You've never heard of it and there there's a reason. But uh, now it's the Maple River, there's four towns, but anyway, I was there 3 years. 23, 22, 23, 24 years old. And you know, when you're 22 years old and they give you a head coaching job, when you don't know what to do, you just yell louder. You just yell. It's like the kids are failing out there and you just scream at them, you know, and then you say stuff like, you know, I, I, I showed you what to do in practice, you know, and, and for some reason, I had some good farm kids and we, we put together a couple good years and then I got hired out in Watertown, South Dakota. So I'm 25 years old. We've got a gym that seats about 6,000 people And right then, I knew I was in over my head. But uh, we we went to work, and I don't know, do either one of you guys remember a kid that started at Missouri for four years, a kid named Jason Sutherland?
2: Sutherland? Does not ring a bell to me.
1: Okay, so he played for me, and his best sport was football. He actually made the Kansas City Chiefs. He played pro pro basketball in Italy he was actually the high jump and pole vault champ in the state of South Dakota he set state records he was a six foot seven foot one high jumper and and I and I, I taught him how to jump no actually he transferred <laughs> in as a sophomore and we went to state all three years we won it his junior year we were state champs and uh um I got a, I got two great Jason stories his senior year he signed with Missouri and there was a coach named Norm Stewart, Storm and Norman, do you remember that name? Oh
0: yeah. Anyway,
1: he came up to check on Jason and I had been fighting his attitude. And you know, I was thirty-two years old, coming off a state championship, kind of a know it all. I was telling a lot of people, do you know who I am? And actually I had a sweatshirt that said that, do you know who I am? And uh he and I was really struggling with Jason. I think I had to suspend him a game and it, it was more my fault than his. He had a lot of pressure and I wasn't handling it very well. And anyway. We played a, 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 a school in a conference called Peer, South Dakota, and they came to town, and we were averaging, as God is my witness, 6,000 people for high school basketball. High school basketball in South Dakota was phenomenal. They did not have the D1 schools yet, and they, it was just so popular out there. But anyway, we're playing Pier, It's packed, and they have a little guard that's signed with Northern State, okay, Division II. And anyway, the good news is, Jason scores about 38 points. We win by about four points. And the kid he was guarding, and and I never had Jason guard anyone because I I couldn't afford him to fall out. But he he was such a pain in the butt that I put him on their best player. And he never guarded anyone for three years, man-to-man-wise. You know, we always had other guys do that. And his job was to get dunks and score about 35 points a game. Well, anyway, Adam, can you relate to that? Or did you actually have to play defense in high school?
2: Um, you know, I tried playing defense. And the whole, I mean, like, dunking thing just doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. So,
1: Okay, so you actually had to. You, you weren't one of those guys <laughs> I, that they picked the worst guy that you could not pick up a foul. Yes, you didn't have that reason. rule at Ackley Geneva no that you were not, not allowed to get a foul. <laughs> and So, anyway, I put him on him. And I knew Norm Stewart and the Missouri coaches were there. And that kid just lit. Jason up like a Christmas tree it was just great he he was stumbling and he's looking at me and I just looked at him and says nope nope you got him all night and, my, and his teammates loved it because they were like he's never done a defensive drill you know and I learned a lot from that anyway we get done to the game we get in my locker my coach's office and Norm Stewart walked in he had this big trench coach and he goes he was a pretty important guy they were pretty good back then he goes he goes uh you all you all got any bubble up go over the concession stand and go get two bubble ups. And I, th- I think it was seven up, I don't know. So I went and got two seven ups and he pulled out a whiskey flask out of his trench coat. And he poured, I-, I I didn't even drink whiskey, but you know, what What are you gonna say, you know? And he poured them right in the coach's office, you know, the door was shut. And he goes, where's that 30 from Pier, South Dakota? Where's he going to college? And I go, oh, he's going to Northern state. And he goes, is that school in the big eight? And I said, no, no, they're they're like in the South Dakota conference." He goes, well, if he can't guard him, who's he going to guard in the Big 8? And I'll tell you, you got four weeks left. I'm going to go over to his house now, and I'm going to tell him to shut his mouth, and you put him on the other team's best player every night, because otherwise I just wasted a scholarship. And that was a true story. But my other Jason story is, do you know who won the national championship in 96? Come on, guys. Nope. How old were you in 96, guys?
2: I was 12. Yep.
1: Okay. Have you ever heard of a player called Tyus, Tyus Edney? Oh, yeah. So every year they show the court to court. Do you remember that? Yep. Yep. They, they, UCLA won it that year. The second game of the tournament, they were down one with four seconds to go, and Tyus Edney got an inbounds and went coast to coast and hit a floater. Do you know who guarded him all the way up the court?
2: Had to be Jason Sutherland.
1: Bingo. And when I was in Red Wing, we'd bring all the teams over to watch him play, and all the kids thought I was a great coach. Not because I coached, because I had this kid that was on ESPN all the time. And they went undefeated in the Big 8 or the Big 12 back then, and they were all watching when he gave up the shot. And it's almost on. If you guys YouTube it or anything, it's on all the time. But that's – if you YouTube Jason Sutherland – they show him getting a reverse dunk in Rapid City when the year we won it. But that kid was a freak. But I left Watertown. I took a job in Red Wing 26 years ago. I was the boys' coach for 10 years. Um, that was my third program. We got her turned around. We, we, we put in some traditional things. And then after 10 years, we were very fortunate. Uh, we, we, we had a little bit of success, and we were in two state finals and um we made six state tournaments but in 2004 my last game ever as a boys coach that's a long time ago guys well you weren't even in college yet were you guys
0: 2004 uh, yeah what would have been graduated in 03 yep
1: okay okay well anyway um in 2004 we're playing in the target center in front of 14,000 people we're playing mankito west we're playing in the finals two of the last three years there and i've got a group of seniors that have been with me for four years We were up 18 points at halftime. Do you guys want to know how it finished?
2: (laughs) Two-pointer. Please tell us.
1: We lost. And you know (laughs) what, guys? That's the last boys game. I went to the girls then. I have two daughters. But anyway, that summer, my wife would always make us go to the state fair up in the, uh, go to a concert up in the Minnesota state fair, as God is my witness. And, you know, back then I was always t-shirt and shorts, but she made me wear a collar shirt. So, of course, it had Red Wing basketball on it. I'm walking in the fairgrounds going to the concert. I think it was a Garth Brooks concert, all pumped up. Some guy comes up to me and says, hey, uh, you, you were that uh, basketball coach from Red Wing, Minnesota. You look familiar. And I go, yes, yes, I am. I'm thinking he wants an autograph. And he goes, well, I'm from Brainerd. I watched your state championship game. You were up by 20. I went to bed. The next morning, I woke up and you lost. How the hell do you lose a ball game when you're up 20? I said, I'd like to know. We'd all <laughs> like to know. And, and then after that, I went to the girls for seven years. I have two daughters. They both played for me. And I'll tell you what, guys, I was a boys coach for 21 years. Somebody should try that someday. You should go from coaching boys for 21 years and then go become a head girls coach.
0: Uh, I went from uh, coaching boys for about three years over to the girls side. And it's, uh, it's, it's a transition.
1: And, and it's not all negative. There's a lot nope. of positives. And one thing about girls, I don't know about you guys, but girls mature so much faster. But did you ever get any time where there wasn't someone crying or they weren't mad at each other?
0: No, it was. That's why I I loved morning practices when I was coaching girls because they woke up and they came and played basketball. You give them a full day of school and their emotions that they go through on a day-to-day basis make, make basketball very difficult.
1: Genius. That's, that might be one of the smartest things you've ever said. because, And, you know, with girls, guys, we just get in a fight. There's usually one or two fights in practice, and then you go out, have pizza, or, you know, go, go over and hang out, play video games. But girls, they can hang on to it for years. I mean, if they get slighted at lunch, at the lunch table, I mean, if you can get all five girls playing unselfish at the same time. Now, it's never happened. But if you can get them all happy, and then we lost a game once, and we, we kind of turned it around. We, we got the girls playing well. And um, we lost a game once because of prom. Now, how do you lose a game in December to prom, which is in April? It's because girls, do you remember when you guys go to prom, you have certain groups you go with, right? You have to have a group to go out to eat with and then go on. the after prom. Well, a couple of my go- good girls got excluded from the group. And, uh, yeah, to say the least, it was a disaster, but no, it was a good experience. And then the last nine years and, and my last girls team with my daughter, we got to say goodbye at the state tournament. So that was a really cool deal. We, we, we made it to state and, um, we got to say goodbye at Williams arena. And so I kind of knew it was time. And the last nine years, uh, after 28 years of being a head coach, the last nine years, I have coached uh, ninth grade boys basketball, and I started my first two years ninth grade boys, and now I finished my 39th year of coaching ninth grade boys. And, you know, guys, every head coach should coach somewhere at the eighth and ninth grade level because it it just makes you so more appreciative and it, it just makes you a better coach.
0: Yeah, I I agree with that. That's something too. Or talking about my transition from coaching, I coached uh, a really good boys team and then went to uh, a really poor girls program. And the things you take um, for granted when you're coaching, you know, talented players, and then when you're starting all over and you're trying to figure out, like, okay, I need to break this all the way down. It just totally makes you a better coach and. And to your point, too, with coaching girls, the positives and the negatives, obviously you're on a roller coaster. But once you, once you get those buy-in from those girls, they, not only do they listen, they run, run through a wall for you, which uh, is difficult to get the boys to do
1: that. 100% coaching. And, and you know what? With girls, you know, after the first year, they, they brought me presents. I mean, you know, I don't know about you guys with parents, but boys expect really good coaches. Girls are so appreciative. If you, get a, if you get a guy or woman, man or woman, that knows and how, how to make them better. And I, you know, I always tell, I've been lucky enough. I've actually gotten to talk at the, the Iowa Clinic, which is really incredible. They used to have it in Des Moines. I don't know if they still do, but they used to hire a Minnesota coach once a year. And you talk about a big deal. There were like 800 coaches down there and in different rooms, but what, what an honor. But I, I remember telling the, the, the younger coaches, The same thing about, you know, um, if you really want the players to like you, just make them better, you know, make them better every, you know, you know, you can be a magician, you can be a comedian, but if you really want the players to respect you, and run through a wall for you, you've got to make them better. And I don't mean by screaming at them or, or punishing them. I mean, in practice. Showing them how to get better and breaking down practices and individual team, and then in the games having the toughness. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but your your best coaches are the ones that actually you know if you're going to get a kid to trust you, you got to make them better. You got to prove to them that you know what you're doing and that you got to have a plan, and then you got to have the courage. Because I don't know, do, do you do you have any good parent stories? Do you have any? I've got a couple funny ones, but I'd love to hear. Do you have a couple? Do you have any parents waiting for you at your home or in your driveway or?
0: Oh, I yeah, I had several. I mean, you know, obviously waiting outside the locker room or coming coming into my office during a varsity reserve game or whatever it was. <laughs> I mean, it was and, – and, and like you said, I mean, it's one of the things about – expectations, I think, are the biggest things. And we actually just recently had a high school coach on when we talked about setting those expectations with parents. Um, right away, right from the get go, as far as what you're doing. And, and my thing was always, if you have a question about something, ask me because there's a reason why I'm doing it. I don't ever just do things because I feel like it. There's a reason there's a progression to why I do it. And so that was always my biggest thing. But, uh, you know, to your point about showing them, uh, showing them growth, like you said, like when you have some less talented kids, and I mean, it starts with like we did the same, we started the same all shoot drill every day in practice and the goal went up every day and we did not move off of that drill until we met our goal. And just those girls um, throughout that four years, by the time uh, we even got halfway through the year, they are just seeing these numbers click up and they're getting it first try and they're feeling good about themselves going into practice. And it just completely changes the tones and the expectations that they have on themselves.
1: Well, I wish I could have met you guys earlier because one of the best lines, I wish I came up with it, but I stole it. But you know what? One of the best lines ever for a coach is when you got an angry parent that's waiting for you after the game and you're trying to get on the bus and, you know, your kids didn't play good. Now you got about an hour bus ride home and it's about 40 degrees inside the bus and they're waiting to just chew you out. The greatest line ever, guys, is this. When they come up, the first thing you need to tell them is, hey, 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 what makes you think you can come to the front of the line? I've got at least eight more parents mad at me. You wait your turn. Now go to the front of the door, and then you slip out the back. But that, That's a great line. The, the cool thing about coaching, and you just talked about, getting your players to accept their roles. And, and, you know, we talk about control what you can control. Control your attitude. Control your effort. But attitude, you know, I, I always think youth sports, and I, I really like to hear what you guys think. But youth sports, the greatest thing you learn from playing youth sports, you know, the state tournaments, the section championships, conference championships, that's all gravy. The greatest thing we learn from youth sports is how to deal with failure, how to become resilient, how, you know, you you think some of the, the most enjoyable victories, coach, are after some of the worst performances where, you know what I mean, you, you, you just stink. You can't play. You can't do anything. And then you have two great practices, and you don't beat the kids up. You just get better. You say, we're going to work. We're going to flush it. We're gonna, it's bad Tuesday night, but we're going to win Friday, and this is what we got to do. But you talk about teammates, being a good teammate and accepting your challenge. I had a kid, Austin Bailey. He started all four years. He played college football. And uh, his roommate, he was in his wedding. Uh, he went to Chadron State, and his roommate – oh, geez, this is part of um, – I'm getting old, my senior moment. But he was a running back. He played with the New England Patriots and the um, San Diego Chargers. He was in a lot of fantasy football in the late 2000s, 2008, 9, 10. He, anyway, uh, Chase, will come to me an hour from now. But anyway, Austin Bailey played basketball. He was such a stud athlete that we used him. His job was to guard the other team's best player. But anyway, his dad, about his junior year, came up to me, I don't know, at high V or something and said, you know, you're, you're, you're doing a great job, but I don't understand why when Adam is wide open, he doesn't shoot. (laughs) And I told his dad, Paul, I go, Paul, there's a reason he's wide open. (laughs) I said, there is, we told him the only time he can shoot is if he gets an offensive rebound. And you know what? He was okay with that because he accepted his role. And that's why he's a salesman. He lives in Sioux Falls, but I just love parents. And I don't know about you guys, but what kills you sports you guys all know what a helicopter parent is, right? They oh, hover yeah. around. Okay. You guys got children yet? Either one of you guys?
0: Oh yeah. Four of them.
1: Okay. Okay. So you know what a helicopter parent is, right? They're always around, you know, you're at the park and you're trying to dive to make sure they don't fall off the, 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 the swing. Well, have you heard about a lawnmower parent?
0: No, I, I was going to snowplow. I've heard of snowplow parents. Yeah, They're out in front same, just we, pushing the way for everything, right?
1: Yeah, in Minnesota, we don't like to use the word snow yet. Okay, <laughs> let's let's move that along. But a lawnmower parent, and you know, today, you think about, you know, the, these parents, they they don't want their kids to have any adversity. And, and I'm going to tell you a great story, but in height, my, my girls, they didn't have a choice. Their dad was a head basketball coach, fire teacher. So from the time they could walk, they were in a gym, open gym, And my my youngest daughter is six foot, uh, uh, turned out to be an excellent volleyball player, good basketball player. But anyway, my daughters, when they were in high school, their 10th and 11th grade, they were two very good volleyball players, but they were not starting on the varsity. And one of my best friends was the volleyball coach. And he was was a big believer in playing seniors. So you, you know where I'm going with this, right? And you know, me being psychotic and very competitive, if you were in eighth grade and you were better, Adam, what was the first year you played varsity basketball?
2: Uh, freshman year. You waited till your freshman year,
1: okay? But, but in volleyball, he rewarded the seniors, okay? And and you know what? It just killed me that we were losing the teams, Shakopee, Farmington, these city schools that we could be beating if my daughters played. And my assistant coach said, "Red, if you." talk to that coach and intimidate that coach your daughters will probably get to play but you're no better than any parent you've been complaining about for 30 years because your daughters need to deal with some disappointment in high school you know what they're probably getting the shaft they're getting a raw deal but you know what this is going to make them better people they're going to learn you know and I tell you if you think it was easy for me because it was like you know we want to we want to support we want to protect our 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 kids but a lot of these parents are ruining coaches they're just taking all the fun out of coaching and they're just not allowing they're they're not allowing their kids to 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 deal with anything any kind of adversity and so you know I I just think in today's world 2020 it's really hard for someone that's going to be a head coach for 28 years I don't know how you guys feel about it
0: Oh, absolutely. I, mean, I I think both coaching and teaching. Uh, it's it's just so difficult now f- to have the longevity because you get burned out from the parents and the parents are, have just made it so. Um, the respect level has gotten gone down so much, and then the pressures has has gone up, and so it is. It's it's difficult, and and I think we all would agree in having been on both sides of it that yeah I mean the best thing you can take from sports is overcoming adversity and you know we've had coaches on here too that have talked about you know great athletes and players who maybe are the best basketball player on their team well, they want to watch them go out on the football field and, and get beat up a little bit and not be the best athlete and how do they handle adversity because they seem yeah. to be really good on the basketball floor but what's it like when you get roughed up on the, on the football field and are you going to be able to translate that when you when we do make that big step to the next level
1: and Toughness. You know, my, my favorite story about coaching the girls is, you know, and you guys will probably end up coaching your kids someday, but I, I'd, like to be, I'd like to be at Sunday supper with Fran McCaffrey when he brings his boys home because, you know, his – you know where his wife's from, don't you?
0: She was quite the athlete herself. I, where is she from originally?
1: St. Paul. She, okay. She, she was a player of the year. Muffy McGrath or something. But she – now, it's, it's something where she, – she was a player of the year – and then she went to Notre Dame when he was the assistant coach. So her family, whenever we go to the Williams Arena, there's about nine of us with the black and gold on. And she's one of them because her parents are from Creighton Durham Hall, good Catholic school in St. Paul. And uh, th- that's the school Joe Maurer's from. So yes. she, I don't know if she went to high school about the same time as Joe Maurer, but she was kind of a legend in her own. I wonder if they won a national championship. But, you know, the, I don't know if you talk to coaches that coach their own kids, and did either one of you have a parent coach you guys, like a varsity?
0: Not at the varsity level. We both had lower level, our, our dads coached. And I've, I've had the fortune. My oldest daughter is a seventh grader. I've had the opportunity to coach her a little bit. And the dynamic's oh, definitely boy. different.
1: <laughs> oh, boy. i tell you what. My greatest story is the survey story. So their 10th and junior year, we're, we're okay. You know, we're, we're pretty good. Anyway, uh, they came home. And I, I, I was known, you know – patience and listening are two of my worst strengths. I'm not a good listener, as you can tell. I like to interrupt, and I have absolutely no patience. There's a way to play basketball. You know, we're going to share the ball, and we're going to commit on D. I don't care what else we do, but we're going to share the ball, we're going to move the ball, and we're going to commit on D. But anyway, I, I, I just I, – let's just say I was very demanding, okay? I, you know, but anyway, they come home for supper, and Michelle is making their favorite meal. Okay. How many, you guys call it tater tot casserole down there? Oh yeah. Okay. So they're making tater tot casserole and we're sitting around the table and my youngest daughter's got all of me in her. She'd rather play in the games than practice. And I was just riding her 10th grade, not getting a lot out of her talent. She was just going through the motions and oh yeah. Well, anyway, she had gotten sent home early about five or six times. I think that was before eighth grade. But anyway, if you don't want to be here, go home. And uh, anyway, they come home from practice and they're sitting around eating the the casserole. And Michelle always would say, Hey, how'd practice go today? And Abby, my youngest has said, Oh, great. Afterwards I took a survey in the locker room and Michelle said, you took a survey. Yep. No one on the team likes dad. And, <laughs> and, and Jennifer, my oldest. And I said, well, I said, well, how did Jen vote? And she said she felt it was she, she was not impartial, so she abstained. And so, uh, yeah, so you're going to have a lot of fun down the road. You, know, you, you, you may want to coach them up to a certain point, then turn them loose so you can go back to being the good guy, the dad.
0: That's that's kind of where I'm at right now, honestly. It's one of those things where – because for me, the, it, it's so difficult for me to um, separate – the team's goals and obviously my child's goals and so when when I can just be dad who coaches my daughter it's completely different than hey dad needs to take the the, the goal of the team above all the other responsibilities and so I kind of like just focusing it on one player and being able to grow and develop her so I'm already like I said young age already experienced that and, and, and completely know where you're coming from but uh at the same time, as I'm sure, as you mentioned, one of your one of your memories of being able to walk off the, the state tournament floor with your daughter, it's the highs are the highs are really high, and the lows can sometimes be probably lower than they need to be.
1: You know, every coach that's coached his kids, it's awesome for the coach and terrible for the kids. So I mean. <laughs> It's not always terrible, but we, we had a great experience. We had a lot of highs and lows and we didn't throw any no, no hitters, but it's always harder on the girls. And, you know, as a coach, you got to make sure you don't fit, favor your own kids, but you know, you, you guys, are you guys doing traveling now or both of you guys coaching traveling teams?
0: So, well, unfortunately, we aren't doing much of anything right now. My my daughter's club um, is right, on a pause right. right now. Um, but, no, as I mentioned, like this year, so I coached my daughter's team um, last year, and this year is seventh grade. I, I decided it, w- it was probably between that and um, three other kids at home, I decided it was probably time for me to just step back and be dad again.
1: Yeah. You know, I did the traveling, and I think I did six years of it. And you know the weird part is I just couldn't wait because I had two teams. I had my older daughter and my younger daughter, and then I shared it with some other parents. And you know, I I, I would go out. I would leave varsity practice and go right to six o'clock sixth grade girls' practice, and then go right at eight o'clock. So you know, the we call it the dreaded triple header. But I I I always have some tips when I go to clinics and I talk about youth basketball. And now you guys, I want to hear if you guys think these are relevant or not. But have you guys ever heard of Ruth, Van Iowa? Yes. yes. You have?
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: So anyway, one of my best friends in college was uh, Jerry Carpenter, and he was there. He w- he was from Ruthven. He uh, went to Mankato to play basketball. He found out he's a lot better golfer. But he is the golf pro in Fairbolt, Minnesota, and we still – you know, the last time he gave me a lesson, you know what he told me? If I want – do you guys know how to take five strokes off your next round?
0: <laughs> uh, cheat for me. Uh, a good eraser?
1: skip the first par three <laughs> there you go and then the next thing he told me was uh i want you to take two weeks off and then quit but back to <laughs> gary he's got the little herbie story have you guys ever heard the little herbie so when you coach he his daughters played softball you know because he was a golf pro he wanted them to golf and what do you think they chose they softball, chose softball yeah. so anyway you heard the little herbie so when you're coaching have you, either one of you ever coached youth baseball or softball
0: uh, I, mean, very, I, I did a little young. bit, but I was like, okay, high school. So,
1: so little Herbie's on the bench, little, every team's got a little Herbie. It could be a little Susie, but it's a little Herbie. So he says, little Herbie, it's the sixth inning. And guess who you haven't played yet? Herbie, little Herbie. And where do you put Herbie? Come on guys, you right know, the field. automatic, hit. right, right field.
0: field.
1: And in the bottom of the sixth, they get bases loaded. Where's the fly ball goal?
0: Oh, right field always does, magnet.
1: <laughs> and you've got a one in thirty chance for little Herbie to put a glove on it. But when you play youth ball, I I have some great things that I think. You know, guys, what's the best offense for youth basketball? Uh,
0: no offense.
1: <laughs> How about a good defense? How yeah, about an aggressive defense? Transition. And then just steal the ball and nope. and don't you know you know, to me, keep it as simple as possible. So I, I do, I don't know, 20 years of varsity boys, and I start coaching fifth grade girls. And literally, we go up to cities and play in this tournament with fifth grade girls, right? And we, you know, I'm competitive, it gets to the end of the game. And we got the ball down one right in front of our basket on the side there. And I run late eight. So you guys know you have all your sideline out of bounce plays, right? I try to run a varsity play with fifth grade girls coach how do you think that went over
0: (laughs) not good I I, at the varsity level you can't go from whiteboard to floor without practicing it
1: and I had a lot of success as a head coach my assistant coaches will tell you I'm the last guy with a with 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 a whiteboard and marker because I talk so fast that my assistant coaches have to explain to my players what I said and we used to always say something like don't run something in a game you haven't practiced well Where you you know the guy that takes it out, goes on through the baseline, they set a staggered screen. You guys have all run something like that, right? You reverse the ball and he squares up and shoots. So anyway, I draw this up on the whiteboard, and these parents are up in the stands, all 12 of them, and they're looking at this, and my girls' their eyes are open. And as God is my witness, I didn't have a little Herbie. I think I'm pretty sure her name was Cassie. I get done and I show them exactly where to go. I've got the O's. I got the X's and we get done and Cassie raises her hands and her eyes are watering. She goes, coach, were we the X's or were we the O's? I have no idea. And I, you got to keep it simple. Teach those kids fundamentals. You know, you know the one thing that's never really taught just learning how to make a layup. Have you ever, have you ever done that with youth basketball is just teaching kids. And, And you know what I found was most kids they still can't dribble with their head up and i don't know what you guys find is just if you can just get your fourth fifth and sixth graders to be able to dribble with both hands and dribble with their head up don't you think that's quite an accomplishment
0: oh absolutely that's one of my biggest pet peeves ever is at the youth level i mean just have the ball in those kids hands and be working on passing dribbling and layups like we'll take care of everything else once they get up, uh, you know, to get older, but we need them to start, stop, change directions, and, uh, be able to dribble and make layups. Everything else can be taught later.
1: Yeah. And, 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 you know, just, and especially coaching girls youth it's changed a lot now, but just catching and throwing, you know, I used to love the baseball and softball players because at least you can run something, but if you have half the team that can't catch a ball, and if you can't catch a basketball, you're in trouble. But, um, you know, uh, um, have you ever coached against like in in I don't know fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh grade? Have you ever coached against? I call them Big Ten coaches. You, you know why I call them Big Ten coaches?
0: Because they're trying to run a bunch of sets and they can't even make a layout. <laughs>
1: yes, yes. And they gotta play. They they come down the court and the same. nothing drives me more nuts. You know what? This Oliver Simmons, our new basketball coach, he literally has a fourth grade boy. So his his wife is six foot. He's 6'9". He was Mr. Tennessee two years in a row. Look up Oliver Simmons. But anyway, and he's a redhead, so you got to love him. But anyway, he's got a son, Dexter. I think he's six foot as a fourth grader. And I said, whatever you do, you allow everyone to dribble the ball. There's nothing worse, guys, than the coach's kid is the only one that gets to dribble. And, you know, and, 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 and what do you call it? We, you talk about running an offense, Big Ten coaches. They come down to court and they yell out Iowa, and then they, they run block to block. Or, or they call out gopher, and then they run the ball screen. And then you trap it, and then they're screwed, because the other three are they, – all they work on is practice is place. And you know what's weird? When they practice them, they work in practice, because they're going their best team against their second team. They're playing against the little Herbies. And then all of a sudden they get in a tournament, and some dad knows that they can trap the screen or – you know what I mean yep. jump out and, and then they're they're frustrated but they have like eight plays and these kids just run around like little robots and and so if you got any kids at play let them all bring the ball up the court don't put that big kid that's going to be 5'11 in 10th grade underneath the basket and so he'll quit when he's an 8th grader cuz he's never got to dribble and all he got to do is go underneath and put his hands up so
0: there you go yeah. no I, and the 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 thing with that also too is that uh um you know, you only have about four hours of gym time a week and they have eight sets. Like I, I'm like, that's the thing that always blows, blows my mind is like, you guys don't have that much time, like work on the skills or like, I'll show up to a practice and they're like putting in a new play. I'm like, they didn't, they never learned the old play. Like, let's just make layups and play defense and make transition uh, baskets and, and go from there. That was something I, I, I did have the fortunate ability to coach my daughter's team as a third grader. I think we had second and third grade on a team. Of course, you couldn't steal the ball from the dribbler. So we were jumping passing lanes, and we were getting out and, and getting layups and, and doing all that. And third graders, you know, scoring – everyone was scoring eight, nine points, and we were scoring 25, 30 because we were getting steals and layups. Never ran a play the entire season. Yeah.
1: No, no. And then, you know, the, the, the plays – have you ever – you know, the, and, and you know, I, I just feel if, if I say anything, you know, in conclusion or whatever is the last nine years, I've gone back to coaching ninth grade boys and I've had so much fun. And you know, the great thing about ninth grade boys is the the parents have not gotten as smart as they do when they got to the varsity. So, I mean, and you know, when you're coming off a varsity coach and you go down to ninth grade, they pretty much leave you alone because you know, they start arguing or they start helping you after the game. And then you give them that look like, come on, you're not really going to do this. And then they go, yeah, I'm going to wait a year until I get to the 10th grade, you know? And, but in the ninth grade, I think it's really important that you, you know, I look back to all my good teams, the 28 years I was a head coach. And the one common denominator is, the more the players coach the teams and the, the less the coach, The I don't know how to say this guys, but you think about, like I've always been impressed with Jake coach Jacobson from you and I, cause he's kind of the opposite of a Calipari. You know what I mean? Where Rick Patino is going to orchestrate that game. And I was much more like Patino. but the older I got, the more I allowed those kids. I don't know how you guys, when you were in high school or in college, but I always thought the you and I players, I was so impressed with their cerebral, their, their, Resilience. You know what? I, you know where I'm going with this. That you know, I, I just think it's so important. Like the older I got, like if you went to my ninth grade practice this year, guys, they know how to start. So I've got. You think I've got like 300 drills over 40 years? Well, you don't keep 300 drills. You you look at every practice. I've got a spreadsheet spreadsheet in my office. Every practice through the year, I work on ball handling. You know, five ten minutes rebounding, passing, pivoting every day. Every day we work on footwork drills. And you know how fast practices go. I always try to tell young coaches, have a plan. Map out your practices for the whole year. Never go into a practice without a plan. Go in there and then look at the plans. Keep the drills. Keep looking at new drills, but keep working. You know, there's 3,000 ball handling drills, you guys. Pick the six or seven you like. Get those players to memorize them. You know what's cool? The first 20 minutes of every one of my practices, at 310 the school gets out at 245 they come you know they play grab butt whatever you know they socialize a little bit then at 310 the captains are your best ninth graders they'll yell balls in the basket and they'll do their warm-ups they'll do their laps they do their stretches and let the players run them and then they do right away they go into their ball handling you know two ball dribbling one ball right hand left hand they do all their warm-up stuff and let the players kind of start practice. And then you bring them in. I don't know if you guys do that. I know Jake always did that. That was really impressive. You know how to start a practice. You all came in and he would huddle you up and talk about, you know, cerebral. This is what we want to accomplish today. And then you remember at the end of your practices, this is where I got it from was Jake. I came down to watch you guys. I came down to see JJ. I didn't even know who you were at the time, but I came down and you guys beat bradley i think it was a great game and anyway at the end of your walkthrough you remember how he would bring everyone together and what would you guys do before he talked at the end of the walk through practice
2: we'd all walk, walk in the middle and start clapping
1: yeah it was genius 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 and i took about six drills that i still use today because you guys only had two practices do, do coaches understand that how much shooting you guys did with student managers i was just shocked you guys didn't have 60 i mean you ever gone to some of these high school gyms there's 34 baskets in the gym i mean it must take them 45 minutes to lower can you when they lower all these baskets there's like 60 of them around the gym do you remember mcleod center you guys would do what would you have 15 16 guys at a walkthrough yep and a lot of times you guys would have two baskets right and i was just so impressed the bigs would go one in The smalls, the perimeter would go one other end. You guys would be using, and, you know, I I love those drills because you would have four times, sometimes four shooters shooting at one basket. And you had to focus. You didn't have to. I don't know if you felt that way, guys, but I took so much out of that. Like, and, and back to our practices, it's incredible, you guys, not just in sixth grade girls, sixth grade boys, but it's incredible. Varsity boys, you need to finish your practice on a positive. I don't care how bad the practice is. You need to finish it. Do you guys what, do you guys have a thing you call lightning down there? Or do you call it thunder? Do you do, like, you do you have a shooting game where you try to knock each other out? Yep. Do you ever do half court lightning? Do you ever do like a twenty one tournament? Do you yep. ever do and you know? Do you ever do like uh, conditioning where someone's got to step up make a one on one to get you off the conditioning line? I mean, you, I just think it's really important that after every practice you try to finish with having some fun and having a positive. I don't know how you guys feel about that.
0: Yeah. One, one game that we would do that you mentioned having a little fun was called 30 and a half where you would have to make 10 from the block, 10 from the free throw line, 10 from the three point line, and then a half quarter uh, to end. And that was always, that was always a, a riot because it was obviously got a lot of shots up and a lot of shots made, but then got to end with a half quarter and kids love it.
1: Genius. Genius. I mean, just, you know what I mean? Just, you, you just want the last thing they do is they want to, you want those kids to walk out of the gym feeling good and they, they don't always do, but you want to at least try to finish on a positive. And I always liked the fact that after practice, we always, we always came in clapped and then we went up and, you know, someone counted down one, two, three team or counted up one, two, three team. So, so anyway, um, um, Hey guys, it's just been an honor to be, uh, On your program. I don't know why you wanted to underrate it underrated or overrated ninth grade boys basketball coach, but it's just been an honor to talk to you guys.
2: Well, man, it's uh, it's been a great conversation for us, too. And, you know, I think it's with our listener base, you know, a lot of a lot of the listeners are definitely younger coaches or just coaches in general that, you know, like you said, you know you're still you you're still learning how to do things too, and you know learning more information. So it's been a lot to unpackage, but you know I think it's been it's been a good conversation too. And we're not done yet. You know we have one more. Uh, oh yeah, back. fun. Actually, a couple more questions here for you. Uh, like we we used to call, or we like to call, rapid fire. So uh, right now Brian's gonna hit you with a couple questions. Like we said, some about basketball, some probably not, and just you tell us the first thing that comes to mind.
0: Gotcha all right coach what uh what's your favorite uh coaching venue gym or arena that you've had the opportunity to to coach in
1: oh it's not even close Williams Arena the the stairs are the locker rooms are below you and I don't know do you have any Hawkeye connections
0: uh, well so it's funny about Williams Arena um that my first time I've so wait so now what was the what was the barn what was that is that Williams, That's Williams. yeah That's Williams. okay um, so the first time I ever was in Williams Arena was, I was young, I was probably a sixth or seventh grader. And uh, it was me and, and my mom and dad and the third seat, so my mom's seat was right behind a pole. So my dad and I enjoyed the game and my mom watched the pole. For... Yep.
1: They have really good ice cream though. They are known for their ice cream. I hope you you shared the ice cream. Yeah, it's, you know what? And you know, you coach in there. So I've gotten to coach girls and boys state tournaments in there both. I just feel so blessed. But one year we were we That was the year we got the final. So they would play the first two rounds. No, the first round at Williams. And then you'd move over to the target center. And one time we got done practicing. No, before our game, Kevin Garnett, Wally Serbiak, remember those teams? Oh, yeah. And uh, Sam Cassell, they just got done practicing. Let me tell you, Kevin Garnett is a huge human being. I mean, our, we were just in our cheerleaders. We, you know, they, they bring the buses inside the Target Center. There's a big door, and so you really feel like NBA, you know. And I, I thought I was Phil Jackson until the game started. But anyway, <laughs> we walk in, and they walk. You know, one thing you don't realize, have either one of you guys ever sat courtside at a Timberwolves game or at a Chicago Bulls game or anything, Milwaukee Bucks? I, um, Iowa, Iowa Energy
0: State is about Bucks. as close as I've gotten, I think. <laughs>
1: oh, my gosh. They're so big. I mean, you just need to sit in the front row once in your life, bucket list, and just see how huge, like last night. I mean, Garza is a big boy, you know, he hasn't been cheated, but you know what he, you know, those kids from North Carolina were bigger and you know, they kind of showed his vertical, but no, again, I'm talking too much. This is one of my strengths, but Williams arena. And one time we were in the state tournament, I was coaching and it gets so loud in there. Have you ever heard of that? I mean, veterans auditorium used to get really Loud because the acoustics, there was nowhere for the room to go, right? Yep. And it's the old barn, the old Quonset. Well, anyway, the barn. And I was yelling so much. We were playing Fergus Falls and we were playing pretty well. And I was just screaming. And I looked at my assistant coach. And I don't know if you know this or not, but when you scream a lot, all the oxygen <laughs> it leaves your body. <laughs> and I told my assistant coach, Doug Toyvin, I said, Toybe, I don't know what's going on, but I feel like I'm gonna faint. And he goes, Red. You are screaming so loud. They can't even hear you. Shut up and sit down. You're screaming so loud that there's, you know, you're, you're getting lightheaded. And so that was good advice, but it's, it gets so loud in there and it's so hot and then you go down the steps underneath the floor and you can hear the, the, anyway, that, that it's a long answer to a short question. What Williams oh, arena.
0: That's awesome. Um, I, I know you're a big golfer. So as we compare <laughs> Iowa to Minnesota golf, um, you know, Obviously, Minnesota has some spectacular courses, but uh, in your area, or how how would you compare, and then what are maybe some courses that stand out to you, either Minnesota or Iowa?
1: You know what, Uh, in Iowa um – we, we always played in Brita. It's a little nine-hole course, yep. and it, it's it's always your favorite because, you know, it, it didn't come until I was out of college, and they put it in, and then every – it was during the Tiger Rage, you know, in the 90s, or, it, yep. you know, it came in the 90s, and everybody learned how to golf, and they found out how hard it was, and then they quit. But um, Carol is really known for their golfers. I don't know if you knew that or not. Carol High and Carol Kemper. Well, Carol Kemper had a coach forever. So do you, you, do you remember hearing the Pettit boys? Did either one of you guys – ever hear them
0: yeah that name sounds familiar
1: yeah they they turn pro in any way Uh, I grew up with their dad and uh anyway uh Todd Pettit and he never golfed and that's the ironic thing but uh um Carroll Country Club and the Carroll Muni are great courses and then in Minnesota we have we have the Red Wing Golf Club that I've played for 25 years and you know the best part is About 25 years ago, I started off as a bogey golfer, and 25 years later, I'm still a 16. So that tells you (laughs) that I golf for social reasons, and I just retired from teaching and coaching, and I bought, we, my wife and I, we bought a townhome on the eighth hole. So I will guarantee you my handicap will go from 16 to probably 15. It may even go up. I don't know. But my, um, th- there's a course in Lake City, Minnesota that's probably my favorite. It's called The Jewel. So if you guys I've ever heard, get yep. up to Lake City, Minnesota, The Jewel, it's uh, up on the bluffs. You can overlook in the Mississippi River. And, um, and uh, it's
0: a great course. Have you been up to Brainerd and played any uh, courses up in that way?
1: No, I have a rule that if I'm going to shoot 100, I'm not going to spend a (laughs) dollar a shot. So (laughs) I've heard about them. They're great. I have played uh, Troy Byrne over in Hudson, Wisconsin, right across the river. We're we're right on the river, so we're very close to Packer fans. And yes, I am a huge Viking fan, but a Hawkeye and Viking fan but um and we hate the packers and you know um they're they're just so obnoxious but anyway we don't need to go there it isn't about their podcast but uh troy burns a nice course and then uh but brainert uh there are so many neat resorts up there that are just just beautiful well worth the trips up north to go there
0: absolutely well good no that's awesome um Okay, so question here, and this is a little research on my end. What do you think about uh, if high school coaches – and how do, you'll have to remind me of what the rule and if and when it changed for Minnesota, but what do you think about high school coaches being able to stand up during the game?
1: Oh, yeah, that was – I mean, I think, they, I think in South Dakota they changed the rule because of me. You know, <laughs> this is a true story, but my first game, Colin Capitan – and he ended up refereeing our state championship game in 92. But Colin Capitan did a ton of uh, Missouri Valley games. And and my first road game, we went to Mitchell, South Dakota. Have you guys ever heard of the Corn Palace?
0: Oh, yeah. Yep, and been there.
1: Th- they had won 84 games in a row. So they, they had a center that played at Drake named Chad Frederick. They, had, they were just loaded. And I told our Watertown kids my first year that when we go on the road, we don't care who we play, you know, the coach speak. That we don't care who we play. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna beat everyone. And, you know, I was yep. coming off Minnesota Lake. They didn't even know where it was. And literally, we came out and warmed up. And then they came out, and they had these signs, like 8, 9, and 10. And they had won 83 games in a row, three state championships. And every one of their players could dunk. Their JV guys could dunk. My tallest guy was fat, and he was about six-one, And they came out and started dunking. They were 6'8", 6'9". And my assistant coach, Monty Waite, was about 45 and he started sighing like this. Just, I thought he had like, he was dying. He goes, oh, oh. And I looked at him, I go, Monty, what's going He goes, we're gonna get killed. We're gonna get killed tonight. And we were down by 50. And one of my guys took a charge and they called it a block. And I jumped up, I was up anyway, but I, I go, we're down 50. How in the world can you not give us one call? And he said, when you're down 50, sit down shut up learn how to coach and take a technical with you and he ended up being one of my best friends but no the bench rule you know you know what the problem is there was a day guys that um there was actually a day when the referees would get their checks and then they would go to the legion hall and meet the coaches because a lot of the parents hated the coaches so the coaches had to go somewhere you know like the red man club Or the Legion, the American Legion, the Orange Door, something where you could be alone and the parents, the Pitchfork Nation, weren't ready to hang you. Well, anyway, anyway, the referees used to come down there and cash their check and they would have beers with you afterwards. And it's changed. Everybody had a first name. I don't know about Ackley, Geneva. Brian, where did you play high school ball?
0: In Algona. Algona, Iowa. Oh,
1: my God. You know, we used to play Algona, Garrigan. Were you public or Catholic?
0: Public. I went to the public school. Yeah, Algona High.
1: Okay. So you weren't very spiritual in high school. I get it. But anyway, what's Garrigan's nickname?
0: The Bears, Garrigan Bears. Yep. Golden Bears.
1: Golden Bears. And they had the coolest gold Pro Keds. So in 1976, 77, they wore, they were six pounds. They wore the gold, the gold Pro Keds and Adam's going, I have no idea what Pro Keds are. That was actually how old I am. But anyway, we drove from Carroll to Algona, Garrigan. Yep. They were in the CYO, but, um, uh, yep. Yeah. And, and you know, in little towns, they, they, when I coached, they, you got to know the refs by their first name. And, you know, they used to talk to you. You know, they'd always come by in the first half and they'd say, Red, that's enough. You know what I mean? Let me work tonight. I know you're nervous. Just work with your kids and coach. And nowadays, it's really changed where it's gotten to be uh, very combative, where a lot, uh, it's just so hard to get young referees. You know, I don't know about you guys, but every once in a while we'll have these youth tournaments when I was the boys and girls coach. And we would volunteer like uh, one time I, I refereed six games in one day. You talk about hard work, but a lot of young referee, Brian and Adam, they would rather wear shorts and referee a youth tournament on a Saturday and Sunday and make about $500. than go through all the politics and get their butts chewed doing varsity games. Isn't that, I don't know if that's true down there, but up here, it's really hard to get young officials that want to re- referee boys basketball.
0: Yeah, it certainly is. And uh, I grew up, so my dad's a longtime official actually in the hall of fame for officiating. And so, oh, good for him. Um, and so I grew up uh, uh, on a little bit different side. And even in my playing days, most of them obviously knew who I was through my dad. And so the, the communication was definitely different um, from my playing days to then when I was on the sidelines coaching um, and, and, and the profession, like we mentioned earlier has changed too, just because of that respect level. It's, it's just so difficult. And the, 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 the stress doesn't uh, equal to the reward of it and which is too bad. But um, I, the reason I had to ask is because I thought I saw, so, so one thing with the rule in Iowa has changed now where the head coaches can stand up my four years as a varsity head coach. um, They changed it the year after I I got done coaching. And so uh, it's, sitting on the bench is tough. And I thought I read an article where, uh, you received a, a technical early, and then ended up getting getting booted because you accidentally stood up or something. Because that was our hey, rule hey, too. Hey,
1: no, no, no! Great story. Great story. My daughter's played on the team. Great story. So we're at we're at uh, Holy Angels, big, you know, the Catholic school in our conference. You know, we're not going to say they recruit, but yes, they do. But anyway, they they were loaded anyway, and we really struggled up there. And we were pretty good. They they were really good. And two teams that usually went to state, and we went up there, and um. Um, and I got a technical and the bench rule is that if you get a technical and, uh, I know so many women that are good referees and it's really hard to get a woman to come in and referee. I know one that isn't a very good ref and she made sure before the game, you know, you introduce yourself and you you never want to come off and say, do you know who I am? You know, because, well, they knew who I was. She said, I know who you were. I didn't like the way you coach boys' basketball. This is how she started the game. She's about five foot two. And I thought, this is not gonna be good. Well, we're winning the game. And last minute of the game, and with about two minutes left, Holy Angel is trying to get back in the game. They're fouling. We're just getting killed out there. We're trying to protect the lead. And I, I get up and I yell and I go, You gotta take care of the players, someone's gonna get hurt. She ran about 90 feet to tee me up. And then about 40 seconds later, one of my kids. I don't know sprained her ankle girls you know boys nowadays boys you go to fifth grade traveling they all fall down and flop but anyway one of my kids fell down I wanted to make sure she was okay not only did she give me a double technical but she kicked me out of the game well the funny part is the next Friday or that following Friday was a Tuesday night I had to sit out that game well it was senior night and I had two seniors that had played for me since eighth grade and there was a family he was going to be the warden of the we, we have a, a, a penitentiary, uh, pen, uh, the, the youth jail out here, the prison. A oh, juvenile, yeah. Um, yeah, for youth offenders. And I've actually worked out there a couple semesters, but the new warden was in town. He had two daughters that played basketball. And so he came from way up north Duluth to watch us play. And his daughters were okay. But anyway, great guy. Anyway, he ended up hiring me a couple of years later to work in the summer. But anyway, he's watching the game. And everybody's telling him, oh, yeah, there's Red. He's got a great program, blah, blah, blah. You'll love Red, you know, and blah, blah, blah. And then they, the team went down to start the game, and Red stayed in the stands. And so he's looking around. Jim Schaefer his name. He's going, well, does he coach from the stands? And so they had to tell him, well, he, got, he lost his red hair, a little Irish. He lost his temper at the last game. So he's sitting out senior night, you know. And then you got the senior girls crying. And it's just like, you know. And you know, the thing is, we create our own storms, you know, like our pastor says all the time in church, We create our own storms. I mean that referee that was a terrible uh, uh, she, she read the rule wrong, it was a personal deal, and she got reprimanded, but you know what, I should have been smart enough, number one, not to get at number two to not stand up. you know what i mean it 's kind of like that stubborn irish t- temper it 's like i 'll show you who 's the boss and <laughs> and it cost me uh, the getting kicked out of a game. But I'm glad you did your research, Brian. I, how far did you go anyway? You didn't look back in college, did you?
0: I, no, I didn't. That, that was okay. one of the first articles that came up, so I just happened to note that. Yeah,
1: and that's the one that always comes up too, the one he got tossed out of. They don't, yeah, they don't have any of the inductions or anything. Yeah,
0: no, serving a suspension is what I saw. So no, that yeah. was good. But like I said, I've, I've been there too. It's so hard, like just in the flow and the excitement of the game not to stay, I mean, that's your reaction and i mean you stand all practice and you stand all summer and then you want me to sit down in the winter and yeah it it's it's just hard but um, you wanna
1: you wanna tell fran mccaffrey that rule
0: yeah right I and fran. have you
1: noticed Fish year he's really i don't know what's going on i don't I, know have you noticed last night yeah, how much he's sitting
0: I, I think it's a little bit more to your point that you mentioned earlier uh, you get to a certain level where the players start coaching and i think he has just got his guys in there and he feels good and he feels good with their leadership and and, and it shows, I mean, it shows that these guys are playing with more confidence than any team he's had. And so, um, yeah, I, but I have noticed that. And I, I think it's, I would imagine practice is still pretty intense, but he, he's done a nice job on the sidelines. Nice you know,
1: football. you know. and Brian, did you play college basketball?
0: I did. I played at Warburg. yep.
1: Uh, Warburg. but I remember watching Adam play and I, I always loved glue guys. And, you know, Adam, you knew you were, you, I'm sorry, but, you know, like, have you guys ever heard the adage that? coaches don't have favorites. How many of you guys believe that?
0: No, I've, no. I've been on there. I've been in the no, time.
1: <laughs> no, every coach has their favorites. And you know what? I, if you don't love Connor McCaffrey, I mean, he irritates, he's antagonistic. And you know what though? You talk about a guy that accepts his role. And I mean, you know, every team in the big 10 hates him. I mean, and yet he's so unselfish, but Adam, don't you see a little bit of yourself and, Connor or not your, your role when you played it. Cause you, you, you were not gonna, you were never going to lead you and I in scoring. I don't think.
2: Right. I, I was just going to say that he, he plays a lot more than I did, but um, yeah, I mean a, a lot of, a lot of college basketball, college sports in general is, you know, making that transition to, you know, we talk about all the time on here, you know, you're the guy in high school or you're the girl in high school. but then you get to college. Oh. And there's a lot yes. of those there's a lot of the guys and the girls there that you have to kind of, kind of mold your game game to fit in. And, uh, you know, you're exactly right. Connor does a great job of that and very, very unselfish. And he's one of those players that, uh, well, you kind of mentioned it that you'd love to have him on your team, but hate him on. Oh, just think
1: team. guys, guys, just think his role. He, he can play all four positions. Did you see who he was trying to front the post last night? And I mean, you can see Roy, Roy is just screaming, you know, seal, High-low, I mean, North Carolina is one of the only teams left that runs the old three-out, two-in, you know, and they ran that high-low. If they wanted to do that the whole game, I was just like, but I saw Connor guarding the post at least eight or nine times last night, not whining, knowing that, you know what, hey, who are they going to put in there, CJ? I mean, you think uh, Jordan is going to go down? I think he got stuck on a switch, though. And I, I think Jordan, if Jordan guarded a post player, how many points do you think that post player would end up with by the end of the game?
0: No, 30. <laughs> hey,
1: <laughs> I watched his dad win a football game at the University of Iowa. And I think it was a home game against UCLA. I'm pretty sure I was at the game at Kinnick Stadium when his dad was a quarterback. And let me tell you, he was a stud.
0: Yeah, quite the, quite the family. Obviously, with all those those four boys and dad being able to, to have the careers they've put together is, is something special. That's for sure.
1: Uh, it's just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you can't pull for him, I'm sure Iowa state fans hate him, but that, that's all right. They hate a lot of people.
0: <laughs> and, a, and a heads up play by him at the end to give the ball to CJ to get the turnover with the shot clock running out too. I don't know if you saw that right at the end. That was, that was a veteran oh. move.
1: Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm psychotic. Cause not only that, but I tape it because if they play real good, then i actually watch it in the morning you know i like to watch for fast forward it but yeah i'm a true hawkeye fan well, football games sometimes i get so nervous i have to tape it i just you know what i mean it's like you know. i can't stand to watch this and uh i think i fired i have fired forense at least five times i am yeah. just uh I, i've been a coach 40 years i'm the worst fan because the minute they lose like they lose to purdue and northwestern i'm like well it looks like you lost the team it's a disaster and then how many times is the captain how many times has the captain shocked the Iowa fans and they are not easy fans to 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 coach for
0: I was gonna say you sound you sound like a probably 75 percent of Iowa fans so that's, uh, <laughs> yeah. That, that, yeah. that that is for sure so well hey two two more here to get you out on coach one um we always got to ask is we, we kind of move around the state and and everything um we, we get a chance to come up you know obviously not coaching but if we got to come up to Red Wing uh, got to go and and catch a high school game where do we have to stop to get something to eat get some good local food and and maybe a few drinks before the game
1: well you got to go to Liberties, but now it's only takeout and then plus uh one of my former students got drunk uh, looted the police and drove his truck through the front door so You want, it's the oldest restaurant in town. It's called Liberty's and they have the best pizza and wings and they have the TVs. And uh, if you go to Red Wing, there's two places, Kelly's, uh, it's on the river. They got a little deck overlooking the Mississippi river and all the boats Kelly's sports bar, or you go down the road to Liberty's and you can't go wrong and Liberty's pizza. I'll guarantee you. It's the recipe. It's it's forever. And they're Buffalo wings and um, Kelly's Sports Bar and Liberty's Restaurant, you can't go wrong.
0: Perfect. That's good. Adam definitely wrote those down. So we have that yeah. for when we're up that way. Um, and then last one, Coach, you, you've been talking about it throughout the entire podcast. but um, we can And we get the sense. We can feel it. We can, we can see the, the intensity for the level of, of, of coach and passion that you have for the game. But what is the best thing about having the opportunity to lead young athletes and be a, a coach no matter what the level is?
1: The relationships. And I know every coach tells you the same thing. But you know, I'm 61. Uh, This will be the first winter I won't coach in 39 years. And I retired in June 37 years as a teacher and a coach. I I coached two years after college looking for a job or in college. But anyway, the the, the thing that the greatest part is just the relationships. And, um, you know, um, I've had a lot of players that have gone on to coach. I've had so many players both female and males that have gone on to be successful. And, you know, every, every coach has a shoe box and you don't keep the bad letters. <laughs> they go in the garbage <laughs> and there's bad letters, not usually from players, but from parents or fans. But anyway, you keep the good letters. And when a kid talks about succeeding in the military or in work, and he attributes it to our practices and our, our belief and our tradition of outworking your opponent. And, you know, I'm 61. So I have, former players that are 55 and 56 years old and we still go together we go to gopher games we uh we still get together and celebrate uh we celebrated our 25th um state championship back in South Dakota and Jason Sullivan came back he has no hair now so no one recognized him and uh he came in they showed some of the highlights and you, you know why all the kids were laughing at the highlights this is 92 we didn't have the long shorts yet.
0: Say, in Ninety-two,
1: say. they still had shorter shorts, so everybody thought that looked funny. But um, it's the relationships, and no, you know, you nobody throws a no-hitter, but if you can just have a positive effect on a few of your players, then everything you did in coaching is worthwhile.
0: Absolutely, that's well said. well coach hey we we appreciate you taking some time here and uh sharing some nuggets and obviously some great stories with us and uh, i'm sure I'm sure our listeners are gonna enjoy them as much as we did.
2: Hey,
1: you guys are the best. Um, I I'll look forward to l- listening to it. I, I, I hope we did okay.
2: <laughs> we did great coach. Like Brian said, thank you. Um, and to our listeners, as usual, if you like what you hear, we would appreciate a five-star rating wherever you catch your podcast. We're available on all social networks on Facebook, search the shooters touch on Twitter and Instagram search at shooters touch I a and our brand new website, shooters, as usual shooters, shoot.
1: In my mind, hustling harder than ever before. Saying I change cause I like when I shine The Diamonds ain't different like my kinetics prime. Let's shoot shooter's touch. Yeah. Can't nobody bot like me no, 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 Blueface, face oh harness, on 100s That's really all I see.